Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast. My name is Allison Schneider, and I'm joined today by Dave Bender and Nando Gomez with our advocacy team here to talk about all things 118th Congress and what we have on deck for the Biden administration. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Thank you. Dave, let's start with you. I know the PAC set all kinds of records last year. Tell me about those records and how you were able to do it. Uh, well, thank you, Allison. It was a great year in 2022. Uh, our members really stepped up to the plate. Uh, each state has a PAC champion, which is a volunteer member that helps assist uh, me and my team in, in the PAC. Uh, they raise money for, for the PAC, uh, and the records that we set were just unbelievable this last year. They include a record high of $1.277 million, which was $130,000 over last year, which also was a record year, which was great. We had 45 state member organizations reach their PAC goal. Again, another record on that, which was awesome. Two states actually raised over $100,000 each, California and Texas, the first time ever any state has ever done that. And we had about 3,100 people total, members giving uh, to the pack, and that's just a really great year that we had. I know that this started during the pandemic when our DC convention was not held in person. Can you talk a little bit more about going back to in person and how that was able to help? Sure. You know, it, that's a good point you brought up, Allison. Uh, we, when the pandemic hit, we were weeks away from our annual convention. And that's when people come out to meet with their members of Congress uh, to talk about issues in their district and with the engineering industry. We couldn't do that. So we kind of panicked, and then once the panic settled in and we got a little comfortable with this, Steve Hall, our, our, our boss, uh, basically said, let's, let's get together with these folks virtually. Let's just see what we can do. We don't have to do it over a two to three day period. Let's do it a two or three month period and, and try to get as many people to connect with these members of Congress virtually. And the result was we had probably an estimated 20 to 25 ACC members that participated virtually in each one of the meetings. I think we had over 300 meetings versus if we had it in person, there'd be four or five from each state or maybe sometimes only one or two that go in and actually meet with their member of Congress. So we connected more people, more of our members to see, although it was virtually, with their members of Congress. And that's the really first time that a lot of them ever participated in any type of governmental meeting with their member of Congress. And it helped really elevate our political process. So do you think getting them more involved virtually helps transition them to getting them involved in the PAC going forward? Absolutely. Expose them. They, they saw their members of Congress just as regular people just doing a job just like they are. They weren't intimidated by it. And they, they saw the value of connecting with them so they could talk comfortably to visit with them about their issues. And now that's trans, transferred into now that things are in person, we're seeing more activity uh, with our members from ACEC, connecting with their members of Congress in, in a variety of the states. Nando, can you talk a little bit about why the PAC is important? I know that it helps um, get our members involved and have them understand the political process a bit. Yeah, uh, well, it's the why of the PAC is important is because it provides the needed resources for a lot of the members need to raise uh, funds for their campaigns. And as speaking from experience, I ran several congressional campaigns and they are expensive. Mm -hmm. So uh, the PAC is one way where we were able to help members of Congress to raise those needed resources in which campaigns, when I was running, uh, we raised a million dollars for a safe district. Now you're talking about five to 10 times that amount. 
these days. So the pack is a great enabling tool for, for our members to introduce themselves to, the, especially the freshmen and sophomore members of Congress, who remember that the, at the beginning they were there uh, to help them out get elected to Congress. So it's one way and it's a, a great tool uh, for our members to be directly involved with members of Congress. Dave, can you talk about um, how the PAC comes to be? How do you look at the landscape and decide going forward what the what the PAC's going to look like and what you need to do? Sure, it's it's a fun process, at least for me anyway, us geeks in in, in this in this situation. But it is it takes quite a while to put this together. So after each election, uh, we just we we figure out who all the member who all the winners were, and sometimes in some races these days it takes a month or so to declare winners. Yeah. Uh, but we, we formulate that. We put them all together in a spreadsheet. We kind of take a look at the previous years, previous PAC budgets. We take a look at, um, you know, how many new members of Congress. This year happened to be quite a few member, new members of Congress. So we have to kind of take a look at them, find out what we can about them, whether it be in-person meetings at meet and greets or uh, intel from other colleagues, maybe outside the industry, but also our members, too which this past year, we had a lot of members come up to us and say, hey, you gotta meet so-and-so. Um, so we put that together. We circulated along the, the great staff of the advocacy staff that we have that have a lot of experience and a lot of connections and contacts uh, in, in Washington, D.C. And they give us some, some uh, we meet and we get some feedback from them. We also meet with some of our outside colleagues to see how, how, their, how their PAC budgets are shaping up. And then finally, we also meet with um, various uh, members, ACC members that have a presence in government affairs and get with them and see what their priorities are and who they like and who they want to sit down and meet with. Once that is all uh, all done, we meet as a, a staff, get it all kind of packaged up. Linda gets involved and reviews it a little bit. And then it goes out to our PAC champions. 51 state budgets, if you include Metro DC, are being sent out. In fact, they just hit the 51st button just moments ago to send out their, their PAC budget to their PAC champions and the executive directors who are also very uh, key and crucial to this, seeking their feedback. And once they, they send back questions or comments or, or add this, take this out or whatever, we then uh, meet as a whole of the PAC champions committee and they vote to approve the budget at that point. Great, it's so important to support the members of Congress that are supportive of our industry. Let's talk about the 118th Congress. I know there are a lot of new members this year. Let's let's dive into what the uh, the new breakdown is. Yeah, there's uh, 78 new members of Congress uh, this year, which is uh, pretty high. It is. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll see 40 to 50, but this year was really really high. Um, I happen to think the, the great thing just with the new uh, election being held with the death of, of uh, a congressman from uh, Virginia. They elected the 150th woman to Congress just last night in this Congress, which is a record. It's still not quite enough, not even near enough women in Congress, but they are making some progress, which I thought was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. The other interesting thing that I, I'm taking away from this, this Congress is the Republicans held the, or took the House this time, um, and they did it with a five-seat majority, basically. The interesting thing is of those members that 50% of those members that are in that caucus, in the Republican House caucus, have never served in majority. Half of that, half their members have never served in the majority. So I think they're gonna, there's gonna be some bumps obviously mm -hmm. along the way as they kind of feel their way through this Congress. And Allison, just to add to the point about the, the makeup of the new Congress, this is the, one of the youngest freshman classes ever. 
um, every as far as the it includes the genera generation Z member Maxwell Frost, Congressman Maxwell Frost from Orlando, Florida, twenty five years old. I mean wow. that is he's right at the minimum the minimal age I believe you have to be twenty five to be a member of Congress. So um, you start at twenty five uh, and on through. Uh, there's plenty of members that, ironically, not ironic, excuse me, uh, surprisingly, is in their 20, are they in their 20s and 30s. And uh, that's just a different way to engage the members, to kind of talk about the issues and maybe connect it to their age group and their generation. I'm a generation Xer, so is, I think, Billy Dave here, right? We are have to talk a certain way to them, uh, and just because that's the reality on the ground as far as the make of Congress, which makes it uh, for a very challenging, but it's also exciting as well. That's a great point. It really expands the gamut. We've, we're seeing younger members of Congress, younger members in leadership. Congressman Jason Smith is now yeah. chair of the Ways and Means Committee, which is in charge of taxes and health care in the House, and he is like me, an elder millennial, <laughs> uh, but it, 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 they are different audiences that we That's need true. to communicate our messages to. What's the forecast for the 2024 election? Wow, we're jumping to that, Allison. Um, 24. So, the, you know, um, there's a presidential and a presidential election that is, um, you know, several factors, right? One that is yet to be determined. One, the most important one is that President Biden is gonna uh, announce his reelection. We are being told, and you talk to folks in the circles here, that uh, he will, his intention is to, that he will make an announcement sometime in April, maybe March, maybe April, but he's taking his time, mm -hmm. um, certainly. Um, but what he's showing by all the steps on it, by moving the primaries to South Carolina from New Hampshire, for instance, is kind of it's laying the field for him to kind of be the Democratic nominee. Uh, that's a big assumption, but I'm being told that that uh, it's good chances that, you know, I said kind of what, what's the percentages? They say maybe 80 percent. But really, the one person that really knows uh, if he's going to run again is Joe Biden, uh, his wife. So it'll be interesting how that plays out. But it's going to be once that decision's made. And then you see on the other side, and, and Dave certainly can chime in on, on how many Republicans are going to decide to run sure. uh, besides uh, President Trump. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But the, you know, stay tuned. It's going to be interesting. Well, I think Nando hit it on the head. I mean, it's, it's all around Joe Biden. What does he do? He certainly has had a really good presidential year this year so far in his young year of 2023. Um, but it, it, it will determine a lot of things, um, his, his running or not running. Also, the interesting thing is the U.S. Senate races. That's the, something that I think is even more interesting to watch. There's 20 uh, Democratic seats up this year. There's only 12 Republican seats up, whereas the last two cycles, Republicans had more seats up, and it cost them for that. Now, other things cost them as well, too, some of the issues and some of the candidates. Uh, but there's a lot of factors in, in, involved and engaged in that. Also, I happen to think that candidate quality and what happens down ballot. Usually it's everything's top ballot anymore. Sometimes it's a little, you got to go down a couple levels to really determine how these races are going to be impacted and how, what, the, what the future of these races will be, who will be the winner. Perfect examples in Pennsylvania, where I believe Mr. Urbanchuk comes from. Uh, poor quality candidate, uh, great quality candidate on the Democrat side, really drug his people up and the Republican candidate drug his people down. You see Fetterman win in that race. Uh, which, you know, he had some tough breaks along the line, but he ended up winning that race. You saw um, several 
uh, Pennsylvania Democrats win, probably three to four seats, that if they had a better quality Republican candidate on the Republican side, they wouldn't have won those seats. They were really, really tough districts and expected to lose, but they did a good job on their end, but uh, the Republicans did a very poor job on their end. So sometimes that down ballot is a good thing to keep an eye on. And I happen to think that's gonna be another factor uh, for the 2024 races. So just piggyback on Dave's point about the Senate, the other, and we talked about, you know, as President Biden decides to announce his reelection, there's several other Senate races that have yet to be their announcement on re-election. One is um, Senator Manchin from West Virginia. He hasn't officially announced that he is going to run again. He, he is up for re-election in 24. Uh, the other senator is Senator Sinema. Uh, there's the dynamics of that. She is now an independent. Uh, in Arizona. The Dem Arizona. Democrat, Ruben, a congressman, Ruben Gallego, uh, who is a, uh, a congressman outside the Phoenix area, is, is running as the Democrat in that primary against her whoever is going to be in that field, but he is favored to win. So it's going to be interesting how that plays out. She decides to run uh, as a true independent or decides to, I'm going to step away and let, uh, and let the race play out. That's going to be an interesting to play, you know, race that's going to be announced kind of play, uh, as a, in the spring going forward. The other thing you got to keep an eye on, and I just read that Senator Tester just announced, I think today, that he is going to run for re-election in Montana. That's a huge win for the Democrats and Chuck Schumer as a majority leader. If if uh, that would definitely be one seat that would flip to Republican if Senator Chester uh, did not an, uh, announce his reelection. So that the dynamics of reelection is going to go forward is going to be uh, how that plays out. It's going to be it's very interesting overall how the con control of Congress will play out between. And you know also back to the House a little bit on that. He's exactly right. And and the Democrats are doing cartwheels today uh, with Senator Testers because. Mm -hmm. He sure is probably going to be about as close of a lock as he can for anyone who can win that state as a Democrat. Yeah. It certainly could be him. But the House, uh, I just got back from a National Republican Campaign Committee uh, winter meeting in Florida and where Speaker McCarthy was giving a presentation. And it was fascinating, and I learned some things that he, he, he mentioned during that. One of the things he mentioned was that, um, you know, in those poor states, uh, poorly Republican states, that they didn't, they were outperformed. Um, the House candidates in several of those states actually outperformed their Democratic counterparts. And so they were they were seeing they, they their point was we did a better job at candidate recruitment than probably what the Senate did. And that's probably not very argumentable in that that area. I think we all could agree on that. Yeah. But um, they did a much better job. And so they have now not only found in the prior campaign, the previous campaign in uh, 2020, where they had more women, they had more uh, minority uh, candidates in the Republican Party, and they had service. So one of those three, or a combination of those three, was what, what won them more seats this time. So they found a little bit of a recipe there, along now with some really dynamic good candidates. I mean, every now and then there's going to be some clunkers, there's going to be some, some, uh, some, some candidates that are kind of some bomb and flamethrowers out there but are really focusing in on that recipe for the next cycle. So it'll be interesting to see. And it definitely made the difference with this candidate quality between that the, the, the those districts that Biden won. That was about 18 districts that the Republican won. Uh, and, and I think it, what really was the X factor is the type of candidate. Either they were a woman, uh, a minority, or both. It was just uh, a great job by Tom Newer, Congressman Newer, Minnesota, who was mm -hmm. chair of the NRCC. 
uh, on recruiting these candidates to be competitive in the beginning, you know, all throughout the race and then ultimately pulling off the win. Um, they need to hold on to those 18 to 20 seats to hold on to the majority and then try to pick off a few more of those seats uh, from the Democrat side. So again, it's a very interesting mix how this is all going to play out and how that's all going to have an impact on what's going to happen with the legislative agenda for this year and beyond. You brought up the legislative <laughs> agenda. Joe Biden does still have two years left. What are his priorities? What are the Biden administration priorities for these? Well, I, I think, Allison, he wants to showcase his legislative wins. And those wins were the transportation bill, the IEJ bill, the CHIPS bill, and the, the IRA bill, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Those are the three pieces of bill that he wants to showcase and showing, hey, we did something monumental legislatively. Here is how it's going to impact positively for your state and your community. And I think he wants that is going to be job number one. Now, um, how he does that is going to be remains to be seen. Uh, he's going to uh, obviously have to deal with other issues that are going to come and, and impact that schedule or what he's going to go forward on that agenda. Now, that's the administrative agenda, right? Legislatively, there's not much that's going to happen. Um, I think everybody has, has come to the recognition there's not going to be any major pieces of legislation like a transportation bill or infrastructure energy bill that's going to come out of this Congress. I think everybody's gearing up for the next election already and also gearing up for the presidential. So I think it's going to be mostly administrative actions to show what the work they've done and kind of convince people if President Biden does decide to go and campaign to free re-election to show that he has a record to run on. Uh, and then, then try to see if that has some tell, uh, tells for the members of Congress on the Democratic side and see if that if they can pick up the House and keep the Senate. So, I agree. I have nothing to add with that. I, I happen to think that um, even though it's not legislative, um, Joe Biden will also, has also demonstrated his, um, his, his, his world leadership. Um, you know, he's been on a big stage these last couple of weeks here, and he is certainly all in on the Ukrainian war. And he's really shown his leadership. He's shown the strength of that. And, you know, it's kind of puzzles me in a way if a Republican candidate way, way back would have done the same exact thing, they would have an approval rating of 80 percent plus. Um, so, you know, he's got to overcome a little bit of that. He certainly has had a lot of legislative victories, as, as Nando's pointed out. So it's just interesting to see how that how his world leadership and the world stage that he's been so effective on especially with NATO and, and, and getting them all together on that, which is a, not an easy job. Um, why isn't he more popular in, in rising in the, in the polls? So I happen to think he's honing in on that a little bit. We'll yeah. see how that the, the one thing I would just going back on your question about what some of the priorities, the, the Congress still needs something to do a lot of stuff on, on a yearly basis. That's passing a federal budget. Uh, the debt ceiling needs to be raised. That has to be done by approximately July, August, September timeframe, according to Treasury. Uh, and then they have to pass a defense bill. They likely would have some another package for Ukraine. So you got three pieces of legislation with the one, the debt ceiling really, really having a made potential major impact not on the economy, right? And so there's already the, the uh, game of chicken going on between the Republicans, uh, especially in the House, and the administration to see what we can concede from each other to get the debt ceiling uh, vote done. We all remember back when President Obama and Speaker Boehner and the Republicans had, went through this issue. Uh, so we're here back again in this game 
and uh, remains to be seen who's going to come on top. But I think cooler heads will prevail. Common sense will prevail. And let's uh, hopefully that they'll pass this F-selling vote with some concessions on budget and cuts or what have you. And then, then they can focus on, on passing, a, you know, either a, a federal budget, a defense bill come the fall. Uh, but they do need to get the debt ceiling bill done. That's prior, that is the one priority they can't kick down the road. Hope you're right, because the August recess will not be here and we won't have a recess <laughs> either, too. So. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Here's the hope. Cooler heads will prevail. Yeah. Dave Nando, thanks so much for joining us. Thank this you. has been Thank another you. edition of the Engineering Influence podcast from ACEC, and we will have more of these going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.